Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, I'm Danko with your Market View. And joining us this morning to break down the latest market actions is Willie King. Good morning, Willie. Hey, good morning, Dan. How's Thursday looking, Willie? Oh, Thursday is great. And the reason why is because over the weekends, I'll be traveling to KL for wow. a little conference. It's a little personal conference for me. So I'll be there over the weekends. Fantastic, KL. So it's a two-day trip for you. Um, it's probably going to last me about three, three and a half days. Ah, sounds like fun. Don't we all need a little bit of a travel? Oh, Even yes. Even if it's for work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now earnings is back in focus for today. And one company making headlines overnight is none other than Disney. The largest entertainment company recently reported sharp profit growth for its fiscal fourth quarter and exceeded analysts' expectations, sending its shares up more than 3% in after-hours trading. Really, crunch in the numbers for us. Are people finally going back to theme parks? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you see over the the opening, the, the reopening of the whole world, I mean, people are just rushing back to yeah. travel. They're looking for entertainment. And even for myself personally, I like theme parks, right? Mm. Um, so definitely this is something which uh, I would actually like to see. Okay. Do you like, uh, have you been to Disneyland before? Oh, yes. Really? Um, so Disney is one of my favorite theme parks. I mean, the last time I went was actually earlier, a couple of months back to Tokyo Disneyland where I brought my family to Disney Sea and Disneyland. Wow, fantastic. And yeah, Disneyland, it's, a, it's known to be a place, a happy place, they would say. Yeah, well, why not just go through the numbers with us here? What are you seeing in terms of their latest um, earnings results and what it suggests about um, how they're faring so far? So Disney earnings top expectations and this was driven really by profits at its ESPN Plus business segment and the continued growth like what you said then at their theme parks. Mm. So revenue has increased 5% to $21 billion. This was higher from its analyst expectations, slightly lower from its um, analyst expectations, I beg your pardon. And um, its company has reported, the company has reported pretty good net profits of $264 million. Uh, this was an increase from a previous net profit of $162 million from a year ago. So Disney Plus, its Disney Plus subscribers have also increased to $150 million. So this was more than the estimated $140 million by analyst estimates. Mm. So interestingly, Disney plans to continue to aggressively manage its cost base, right. um, increasing its cost-cutting measures by an additional $2 billion to a target of $7.5 billion. So all in all, this is kind of driving, you know, really what's driving Disney's growth here. Mm, interesting, yes. And uh, in fact, it's uh, investors were happy with the news and shares of Disney were up more than 3% in exten- extended trading hours as well. Now, Willie, really, I like that you mentioned about the fact that they will be adding about $2 billion in cost savings. And it also comes against the backdrop of a new long or a new finance chief um a new chief of finance for the company, and that would be Hugh Johnston. And he was actually the longtime finance chief of PepsiCo. Uh, and he joins Disney as the company faces activist pressure from Peltz, whose firm, Train Fund Management, has built a sizable stake in the company and is threatening a proxy battle. Now, aside from that, the activist battle is just one of the several challenges that Johnston will face in his new role. Deal-making will also be a key focus for him. So tell us more. Who or who is Johnson and what his role for as an SCFO means for Disney? 
Yeah, so like what you say, Dan, um, Johnston really came uh, came into came as a CFO into Disney really because of the activism uh, from Trident Fund Management, which is led by Nelson Peltz. So Nelson Peltz, um, he is a he is a very prominent hedge fund manager, but his focus is in activism. So very really much like the likes of say your Carl Icahn and your Bill Ackman here. Yeah. So they brought in Hugh Johnson. Disney brought in Hugh Johnson in order to also defend against um, activist uh, investors because previously, uh, Johnson was Johnston was in Pepsi and back then, Pepsi was also under heat by Nelson Peltz mm. and Trine as well uh, after earlier pushing for a breakup of the global snack and beverage maker. So, Johnston was, was really brought in for that experience to defend against any um, activist investors. So, Nelson Peltz, just a backdrop is he's recently gaining pretty much um, some support um, from the likes of your former, for example, from your former Marvel Entertainment Chair like um, Pearl Mutter, who was laid off by Disney earlier in March. And he's one of the single, the largest single shareholders in Disney. And he's also supporting Nelson Peltz in sort of the fight in the boardroom for Disney to sort of do a shake-up, trying to improve the business, trying to do cost-cutting as well. Yeah, it's not just investors who are unhappy here. We've got uh, big players in the game who have raised uh, and raised their, the level of impatience in the company. But we'll continue to monitor how this rolls out in the coming days. Thanks a lot for that, Willie. Now let's shift gears to the semiconductor technology firm or company Arm. As it reported its first post-initial public offering earnings that beat Wall Street estimates for sales and showed that the company's lucrative licensing business doubled in size over the past year. But here's the thing. Investors aren't happy. In fact, shares fell over 7% in extended trading. So, Willie, talk to us about how it's performed in the last quarter and why aren't investors... Or why are they still disappointed with it? Mm, I think it's very interesting here you made here, um, Dan. I mean, if you see for ARM, it reported a net loss of $110 million uh, really because of its $500 million of its one-time share-based compensation. This was triggered by the recent IPO. So I guess... um, Investors aren't really that excited about this and uh, recent one-off net loss. Mm. But on the other hand, what we are seeing here is ARM's licensing sales were actually up quite a fair bit. It was up $388 million. This was more than double, slightly more than double over the same period last year. Yeah. And if you see how the its overall revenue, it was up about 28% to $806 million for the quarter. And this really was driven by its long-term licenses with now many big technology companies and also its royalties, ongoing royalty revenue, which is benefiting from its market share gains. So all in all, despite the fact that ARM hasn't really reported... Uh, has reported net losses. Um, it continues to grow its revenue in its licensing sales. Um, its overall revenue is still up. And ARM's intellectual property so far is in almost every smartphone which you can find. Um, many personal computers and other miscellaneous chips as well. Yeah. So far, ARM says that it has more than 7 billion of its ARM-based chips uh, shipped during its fiscal quarter. Wow, 7 billion. That's a big number right there. Now, as you've mentioned, ARM is a bellwether because it, it designed a bunch of the fundamental technology that's used by phone makers. And by contrast, Qualcomm, the biggest seller of phone chips, gave a rosy forecast last week, raising hopes that the industry was recovering. Now, in contrast, we've got ARM saying that, you know, they're not as rosy as Qualcomm is. In fact, they, they do think that the broader economy could affect future licensing, licensing growth for them as well. So 
putting both results together, what do you make of these two results and what does it suggest about the smartphone industry? Mm, so if you look at ARM and Qualcomm, the basic difference here is ARM is more of designing your chips, while Qualcomm is more of a semiconductor or chip maker. So they are actually the biggest seller of phone chips. Yeah. And their ROSI forecast really comes on the back of um, the whole idea of technology revolution because you're talking about people using more smartphones these days. Um, and that's where Qualcomm is actually focused on. So they are more in a niche area where they're manufacturing a lot of their chips for smartphone companies. For example, Samsung is actually one of them. Whereas for ARM, they design across different consumer products. So you don't just look at smartphones, but you also look at PCs as well. Mm. Um, and this serves a broader market and there could be ups and downs across the different um, electronic or consumer electronic markets. I mean, I'm talking about your smartphones, your your PCs, your smartwatches, so and so forth. So there, there is some differences there when it comes to ARM and Qualcomm. Looking at Qualcomm going ahead, you know, they, they are still the largest smartphone chip maker and that could be the reason why they are projecting a more rosy forecast versus what we are seeing now with ARM. Mm, interesting uh, breakdown of that right there. Thanks a lot, Willie. Now, sticking to the similar tone, um, Samsung Electronics introduced a new generative artificial intelligence model, hinting that the software will be coming to its devices very soon. Now, Samsung said its technology, called Samsung Gauss, is designed for AI applications on devices. So, Willie, this is quite interesting right here. I mean, with, we've got a new competitor in this space, right? Samsung Gauss. How does it compare with the likes to the likes of ChatGPT, Google Bard, Bing AI Chatbot? I mean, other generative AI tools, I'm losing track over here. <laughs> yeah, so like what we've discussed yesterday, then, I mean, you, you are looking at really fierce competition in the technology space. And yeah. for Samsung Gauss, it is an AI system where it's pretty much a kind of like chat GPT and your Google's but um, it's a generative language model which means that um, the system can help to write your emails mm. can translate content into different languages and also helps to you know, give a better experience in smart devices. You know, for example, your smartphones or your Internet of Things. Uh, this allows uh, very simple, giving very simple instructions to your hardware devices, you know, be it your smartphones, your PCs, or, you know, even your your, your home furniture appliances. So this is what um, Samsung Gauss is trying to do. And it is pretty much a language model system. Mm, interesting. Now, uh, Willie, do you have a bias when it comes to AI chatbots or, I mean, in terms of how you've been using them over the past few weeks or months? I think right now it's very difficult to actually call uh, which is better than, than the other. I mean, every every of this language model is still in an in, in, in infant stage. Mm. But the one which I use predominantly or more regularly, of course, it's your chat GPT because that's yeah. where um, it is so far the most advanced. Um, it's still mi more widely used. And what's more interesting is that compared to the likes of all the language models so far, chat GPT sort of give a more accurate uh, response versus your Google Bard, your Bing AI chatbot, and even your, you know, your Samsung Gauss, you know, for example. Mm, all right. But I mean, it's been used so often that last night, I believe it's been reported that it actually crashed as well. But <laughs> I mean, let's just stick to this, this tune, all right? Now, if tech comes to its smartphones, I'm talking about Samsung, it would be among the first handset makers in the world to introduce generative AI to its devices, even ahead of Apple. 
So what would being the pioneer in integrating new generative AI into its devices mean for the company and overall competition in the smart uh, smartphone space? Yeah, I think this is a very great point um, to work out because on, on one hand, you know, any technology company can be the first in something. Yeah. I mean, you have the likes of your network platforms like Facebook, meta platforms, your social media. On the other hand, you also have like technology, your, your smartphones. Once upon a time, I mean, if you think about it, um, Research in Motion, which, which produces the BlackBerry phone, was ahead of Apple until Apple took over and, you know, launched its smartphone. So on one hand, it's very early, it's still in early days to always say that, um, you know, be it your Samsung, your Apple, or any tech companies to always be ahead because the thing about technology companies is that the things move so fluid, it moves so fast. Companies are filled with, you know, cash on their balance sheet, which means that they can deploy their capital to invest in something and pick or grow their, their their business really fast. I mean, Samsung might be ahead today, but who knows, you have you could have Apple, Alphabet, uh, Meta Platforms coming ahead with their own um, devices, their own software, their own systems yeah. and overtake this company. So on one hand, I think it's great, you know, Samsung can be the first among the, the, the handset makers to introduce generative AI, but who's stopping, you know, from other companies to play catch up and eventually, you know, overtake Samsung? Yeah, it's a very, very tough space to keep up with. I mean, you think about it, right? In every like one or two months, sooner or later, your phone gets outdated and everyone is justifying another upgrade for your phone. So thanks a lot for that. Now, Willie, let's just play a game of up or down. And it's a very simple game to play. All you need to do is guess whether a stock or a topic is going to be an up or a down. Thursday's edition. Are you ready, Willie? I'm ready to guess then. All right, the first one is Wi-Fi app Snap. Right, so Snap has recently conducted a small round of layoff to its product team. So nearly 20 employees um, who held product management titles were laid off. Um, this came as a down for me, uh, despite the fact that it recently reported third quarter earnings where overall sales actually grew slightly higher and also beating analyst expectations. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the up for this one. I suppose it's a bit of a cost-cutting management style. And uh, I mean, it also comes against, like you've mentioned, a backdrop of overall sales, which grew 5% year over year to $1.19 billion, exceeding analyst expectations as well. Next on the list, we've got China healthcare stocks. Mm, China healthcare stocks are actually on a recovery after a $142 billion sell-off. So this is definitely an up for me because this shows some opportunities in the sector itself, uh, despite the fact that there could be signs of you know a government crackdown. Uh, and also, um, the sector is also in the midst of China's real estate crisis um, and as well as a potentially slower Chinese economic growth. Yeah, we talked a little bit about China's stocks yesterday as well to see what are some potential opportunities that investors may want to look at or which sectors investors may want to look at. China healthcare stocks, at least is on the books of analysts, thanks to a slew of encouraging third quarter earnings results that has since raised the forward earnings forecast for the Hang Seng sub-gauge by more than 130% to a three-year high. And I mean, even with the latest rebound, the sector still looks enticing. The sub-index is apparently trading at 17 times forward earnings, less than half of its five-year average. I'm going to go with an up for them as well. Let's take it closer to home. Capital and investment. Okay, capital and investment 
recent nine months revenue dropped 3% because of its weaker real estate business. But this is an up for me because oh. um, despite having their nine-month revenue fall, actually its other business, including its fee-based business, which comprises its private funds, listed funds, lodging and commercial management, actually received one of the strongest growth in its lodging management and, and saw about 31% year-on-year increase. So this is actually something which is good for me because um, Capital Land Investment is a recurring fee-based business and that's where it's trying to actually in, uh, fo- put its focus on. And also at the same time, um, the... This um, property giant also recorded growth in its revenue per available unit across all the different markets, so driven by higher occupancy and room rates. So on, on one hand, while it might have a slightly weaker real estate business, but we're also looking at its growing lodging business. And I think that is a, sort of a bright spot for Capital Land. You heard it from the dividend titan himself. I'm going to go with an up for this one as well, Capital Land Investment. Next on the list, we've got Singtel. Singtel recently reported a first uh, a healthy first half profit, which was up 82% to wow. $2.1 billion. So this is an up for me. Um, this is really because of an exceptional gain from its regional associate telecom sales integration of Indie Home, which is a, a fixed broadband provider in Indonesia. But one thing which i like to point out is despite the fact that it has actually reported a very strong gain here, um, do note that this is probably a one-off gain. Um, at the end of the day, it is slowly expanding overseas, which means that um, Singtel is exposed to a variety of different currency risks. So mm. on one hand, we have a pretty much strong Sing- Singapore dollar, good and bad, good and bad for, for investors and consumers. But on the other hand, because it has overseas businesses, this could actually affect um, its currency. Uh, it, it could actually affect its currency exposure. I mean, you have the you know strong Singapore dollar against Australia yeah. and also other re- regional currencies as as well. So this could affect the top line for Singtel. Yeah, thanks a lot for bringing that up. Currency terms, that's something that we have to keep a close eye on as well. I'm still going to go with an up for Singtel's first half though, 82.6%. That's fantastic. Next on the list, we've got Food Empire. Food Empire is a down for me because it has, after it has, announced its third quarter net profit, which has fell 30% to $15, $15 million. Uh, this was really driven by the absence of a one-off gain of a $15 million disposal of its non-core asset. So um, it hasn't really been doing pretty well for its quarter. But if you think about it for Food Empire, it has a very strong exposure to the Ukraine and Russian market. And yeah. since last year, with the outbreak of the Ukraine war, Food Empire so far has been still continu- has still continued to actually survive and continue its business performance. So I thought that it probably could give um, some form of bright spot in the company itself, despite its poor quarter. Interesting resilience here that, that's, uh, that we're witnessing from Food Empire. And yes, we talk about currency risks as well. We've got the uh, Russian uh, ruble also depreciate, uh, depreciating. So that's a concern for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a down for Food Empire. Last on the list, we've got I Read Global. Mm. So I Read Global's occupancy rate rebounded slightly to 90% in the third quarter. Um, this is an up for me amidst, you know, a sort of a weakening property market in Europe. Yeah. Um, iRead has mentioned that its occupancy rate right now stands at 90% for the third quarter. This was an increase from 88%. So previously, iRead is trying to actually fill up some of its occupancy on some of its key Germany properties. And the REIT manager has attributed this higher 
occupancy to the addition of European discount retailer B&M's portfolio, which he has recently bought, and all of which are fully occupied as well as its higher occupancy among its Spanish properties. So, so far, um, Iric Global's leverage rose about 34%. So, this was a slight increase from its 33%. Yeah. Um, even though its interest cost is still pretty much well managed by the REIT itself. Yeah, I still believe it's uh, it's definitely still under uh, what's the limit, of course. And the good news don't stop there. The manager said that it will also continue to pursue asset acquisitions or seek M&A opportunities, recycle capital by divesting non-core assets and investing in good quality assets as well as diversify into the logistics sector. Fantastic. As always, Willie, thanks a lot for joining us and crunching in the numbers on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.